do I charge a car? Can I charge it in the rain? How far can I drive? Electric car? What's a power grid? Is V2G possible? What is V2G? Do I get free parking for my EV? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue, a podcast about the electric mobility revolution and new energy economy as seen from our perspective out here in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, Communications Director at Electric Mobility Charging Service Provider Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. At Electric Avenue, we bring an insider's perspective to the topic of electric mobility because when we're not podcasting, we're literally building the e-mobility ecosystem in the region with our work at Greenway. So we are installing and operating charging points and serving electric vehicle drivers throughout the region. This insider perspectives helps us generate some of the topics that we want to talk about, which is exactly where our main topic today comes from. The auxiliary battery packs that we've installed at four of our locations to test how energy storage works when combined with electric vehicle fast charging. In addition, we're going to get the scoop from the latest electric vehicle conferences around Europe. And today, finally, we're launching a new segment that we've been toying with for a while. Electric mobility myth busting. There's a lot of misinformation out there and we get random and sometimes surprising questions from customers, friends and family all the time about electric mobility. So we're gonna take this misinformation head on. Should be a packed show, so buckle up, get into eco mode and join us for the ride. Back in the studio today, we're joined by our co-host, Greenway's co-founder and managing partner, Peter Badik. Hello, hi again. Hey Peter, welcome back. So in the last two weeks, you've been all over Europe from Bucharest to Oslo to Brussels. Yes, it was definitely busy and a lot of traveling, but uh, very useful, I would say. So this is the point of the show where we normally return to the office to discuss the latest news. But since we have you here today, fresh from all of these travels, let's just dive in right here, right now. I mean, two weeks ago, you were in Oslo for the Nordic EV Summit. And for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with Norway and its claim to fame in the electric vehicle industry, it is the largest per capita penetration of electric vehicles in the world. Last year, 39% of all car sales were electric, and in March 2019, that was 59%. These are mind-boggling numbers from the electric vehicle perspective. So, Peter, what were you doing there? Well, going to Norway, talking about the electric vehicle is for people who are doing in this business like a travel to the future. This is some place where you can see how it may look like, uh, hopefully, everywhere in um, several years. And therefore, it's always very useful. I used to come to Nordic EV Summit uh, for three years already. And one thing which you realize is how the event itself is growing and how important of electromobility is growing. That's very nice. And that's basically, you can see everywhere on all conferences around Europe. So Norway's leading the charge when it comes to electric vehicle sales and deployment and usage. But uh, let's talk about the conference for a bit. Yeah. There were several interesting things, and one of thing I remember is a sentence from the head of EV Association in Norway. They put together the EV owners, so they have more than 20,000 members, and they said that in Norway, they experienced a collective mental shift. And this is the best explanation of the boom of electromobility in Norway, not the subsidies, not, nothing else. I think the, the fact that the people realize that electric vehicles are best in all aspects 
and they uh, realize it collectively and basically then shift the whole society towards the better transport. Did she share how that shift happened? I think the reason is continuous support and continuous relevance of this topic for more than 12 years, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think when you see the electric vehicles in your neighbors, they are using it simply. You are meeting them all the time on the streets and you can really touch it. You can drive it in a taxi all the time. That people simply change their mind. And if there is a you know certain number, the critical mass, then this collective mental shift could happen. That is great to hear directly from the people who are actually pushing this successfully in Norway. Are there other trends or things you learned at the conference? Because it is a pan-European conference, right? I mean, they're dealing with things that are beyond just what's going on in Norway. Well, interesting topic was as well the ethics of batteries. I think very uh, important these days. And I'm very happy that the industry recognized that. The debate is very important. It has many aspects. Uh, we need to be very careful in terms of the ethics and ethics of the raw materials for batteries. On the other side, we should not uh, abandon it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's such an important topic. We have to be responsible for our supply chain and even though that, you know, if you live in the place where these resources are, it's an incredible opportunity financially. We also have to be very careful about the ethics in which they're extracted, the working conditions of the people who are doing it. It's great that they were bringing this message to a conference where all, so many of the decision makers from the EV industry were. And such very early in the history of this industry. From the very beginning, we are dealing with this topic. Last question. I mean, from a technological perspective, were there any new technologies or trends discussed? I wouldn't say uh, technologies, really, that there was uh, discussions about the use of the batteries to, alongside the charging infrastructure. That's a topic as well today for our we'll discussions get into later that on. Yes. Into that. It was very practical in many aspects. It was a very urgent call to OEMs to prepare something like a certification of new electric vehicles which are coming to the market to be compatible with the infrastructure. Were OEMs at the conference? There were some, there was a producer of charging equipment as well, and there was a very interesting debate between these two groups and uh, where the responsibility is and how they should deal with the topic of the uh, compatibility of charging infrastructure with electric vehicle. Can you briefly summarize that debate? Yeah, especially if we talk about the high-speed charging, DC charging, then the compatibility is a big issue. It's not only about how the cable fits to the car, because that's uh, more or less in Europe already solved, but those who are dealing with elect, uh, charging infrastructure, they know that it's much more about the communication between car and the charger, the protocols, the proper implementation of the protocols. And there is a big challenge to uh, properly combine every new vehicle with existing infrastructure, because every new vehicle may come with a little bit different software, uh, different, different communication with the charger. And even during the lifetime of the vehicle, this could be uh, over the air updated. So therefore, there was a very strong call to these two industries, the producers of the charging equipment and the automotive producers talking together and basically every vehicle which comes to the market or all the time when the software in the vehicle is updated, it is in line with existing and compatible with existing already built infrastructure. Well, this is a much bigger topic and I could see us talking about this for the whole hour, but we need to move on. So we'll keep that for a future episode as developments progress. So from Oslo, you then traveled to Bucharest. And what was going on in Bucharest? For me, there was two reasons. The first was that there was a so-called TANTI conference, uh, which is the conference organized by European Commission and deals with a support scheme for development of the infrastructure. Interesting outcome was that the European Commission continued to support the development of alternative fuel infrastructure mm-hmm. and dedicated uh, another 200 million euro for similar projects. So therefore, everybody who are doing the business in this field, just go to their web pages and trying to search there will be a definitely a calls. So calls. You, will, mm-hmm. you will have a chance to get some support for development of a charging infrastructure in your country. So that was one reason. 
Another reason was that for me it was the first time in Romania and I've never been there and uh, I just wanted to just get the flavor of the country and the electromobility industry there. And I was, I have to say, I was really impressed by the country. And uh, in terms of the electromobility ecosystem, I think very similar than in other CE countries, very vibrant, uh, people are very dedicated. Volumes of vehicles are still relatively low, like in everywhere in CE, but the infrastructure is already happening. Super. That's great to hear. I think we'll be doing a deeper analysis of Romania in a future episode, so we'll leave the further discussion for there. And while we were talking about conferences and travels around Europe, we, Greenway, also hosted a conference in Brussels last week, the end of March, because there are a number of issues that we wanted to raise on the agenda of the Brussels crowd and the policymaking crowd and contribute to the debate on. So in coming episodes, we're going to be sharing these panel debates from the conference with you, so stay tuned. And now, for our main topic today, energy storage and electric vehicle charging and how they go together and why it matters. We're joined in the studio by our guest today, Mario Paroja, Director of Research and Development at Greenway. Hi, Mario. Hello. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to this wild world of e-mobility. Yeah, so basically I'm electrical engineer. And then after several different jobs and experiences, I get a very interesting offer to go to Haiti country, which is very pure, to install solar power plant, uh, first power plant in my life. Yes, and after this experience, exactly during this experience, I get job offer from uh, my energy company, uh, which then uh, switched to Greenway. Uh, we was doing uh, solar power plants in the beginnings. And then next challenge for us was electric mobility. And uh, this was for me very interesting because although I was electrical engineer by my studies, I never heard anything about electric uh, vehicles in those time, 2011. So now it's your full-time job? Yeah, it's, it's now our full-time <laughs> job. Right. A lot of people are dealing with this topic and it's very interesting, still very exciting topic. Every day is something new in this field. So you went from Slovakia to Haiti, back to Slovakia, and from solar to now e-mobility. Exactly. Oh, wow. And in your spare time to relax, you dance traditional Slovak dances. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, it's very good to have something absolutely different in our free time so dancing and singing trigger other part of my brain i would say absolutely and make you much more well-rounded and it's a lot of fun when we have our retreats so at greenway and under your direction we have deployed four different locations where there are auxiliary energy storage systems connected to electric vehicle fast chargers. We call battery assisted fast charging systems or the marketing name we've given them as grid booster systems. We have three locations in Slovakia and one in Poland. What are these systems? As the name suggests, these devices are boosting the grid or make energy buffer to the grid on location when electric capacity is not enough. So we support this grid with energy from other batteries. And of course, uh, it's not just battery, it uh, requires also power electronics and power management system with very interesting and always in development algorithm, which can uh, solve different tasks for us and for grid. Okay, so we'll dive into this in a moment, but before we do, Peter, why 
Why are we doing these deployments? For us, this stage, I would say it's a kind of a learning by doing uh, because we see the charging point operators, companies like Greenway, being very active in the energy industry in the future. So in fact, I think we will transform partially some kind of the energy company. We will connect the huge number of distributed batteries in electric vehicles with the energy system via our charging network. Therefore, we need to have some kind of, a, let's say, flexibility in our energy system. The use of Uh, batteries uh, in electric vehicles very much depends on the needs of EV driver. So we need to respect that uh, when he wants to have an electric vehicle charge at which capacity, so on and so forth. So therefore, it's for us a little bit more things which is given and we need to accept that and we need to work with that. On the other side, the batteries which we have in a network, they are on our own management. So therefore, these provide us much bigger flexibility. So next to the optimization of the energy system and energy cost on the particle side where the grid booster is deployed, it is as well a part of a whole network or whole ecosystem of the energy storage in our network. So right now we are practicing with batteries that are more under Greenway's control and operation, but one of the intentions here is to learn about how to integrate energy from batteries, which might also be distributed around the vehicles? Exactly. One day we will put together the batteries from the vehicles and batteries which we control, like a grid booster, and then we will be able to provide a flexibility to the energy grid. Okay. And while the batteries in vehicles are under our control only in a limited way, because we need to accept the need of the driver, the batteries in a grid booster are fully under our control. We can decide when to discharge them, when to charge them, so on. So, so Mario, how does this flexibility to the grid work? What does that mean to say we can provide flexibility to the grid with these systems and how does that happen? So as a battery is energy buffer, we can decide after some conditions are fulfilled to charge and discharge it anytime we want or grid and situation in grid requires. So this is really something would offer flexibility. Mm -hmm. And you use this phrase buffer. What does that mean in this context of the grid boosters? Yes, because capacity of grid is limited always because of cables, because of transformer station, but also because of uh, limited sources of energy. It's great to have some energy stored. And this is what I call to energy buffer. In electric mobility, as we know, and especially for fast and ultra-fast charging stations, people need a lot of energy in a short time. And then there are... You mean, just to clarify, you mean there might be no energy use for a long time, and then a vehicle, an electric vehicle, pulls up at a station somewhere on the highway or somewhere in the the countryside, and they need to charge, let's say, 100 kilometers. Exactly. And from point of view of grid operator, this is something what they don't want to have in their grid. So intermittent, not predictable peaks of big loads in the grid. This is really not wanted or hard to manage for grid operator to say. And when we can charge our battery slowly, predictably over time, and then charge electric vehicle when needed, but without any extra strain for grid, this is something what also grid operator like, and also it reflects on costs associated with these services. And how does it happen that the grid booster system is able to pull from the grid predictably slowly over time? What does that mean? So we can manage it. We, we have really a really nice um, power management system when we can say when we will charge a battery by which power. This is fully in our hands. So the battery is connected to the grid, is that correct? Yeah, of course. And it can pull energy slowly over time and at very low power levels yes. to ch- recharge the battery. Exactly. And uh, we have also other uh, 
possibility to charge battery. Maybe we will touch it later on, but there are also very easy connection of renewables in such systems. So this is also possible, not just to charge battery from grid, but also from renewables. Okay, well, since you've mentioned it, mm -hmm. let's talk about that. What does that mean? We have solar panels installed recently in one of our locations, but this is just an example. If you imagine uh, renewables are sources of energy which are also intermittent and... Uh, you mean like solar, solar wind? wind exactly. And uh, this unpredictability of these sources is very nice matching with needs of charging of battery in grid booster because we can charge it anytime and then use the energy when uh, EV driver come in. And it has actually one even very practical impact and economical impact, maybe worth to mention. For example, in Poland, we have an issue with the setup of DSO tariffs. If you want to have a capacity connection above 40 kV, then uh, you pay significantly higher connection fees. So Rebooster helps us to have a charger with much higher power, even in that location. So we cap the our input power to 40 kV, so we are not going into the territory with a very high DSO rate. But in the same time, when the vehicle requires higher power, the power is actually supported from grid booster. So even a location with complicated connection to the grid, we are able to provide high power charging. I mean, this sounds like it's addressing quite a number of different challenges that the EV charging industry is facing right now. Super. Mario, is this technology being deployed more widespread around the world? Yeah. I mean, we are in this topic like two years. We are exploring uh, these systems. And uh, what we see is that many players around Europe and around the world are developing these systems and have a lot of pilots or some pilots already deployed. But there are still pilots and there are not many of systems deployed yet. Interesting. Well, it'll be very interesting to see the results, but clearly the benefits seem to speak for themselves. Are there other benefits or applications that are, are worth mentioning briefly? So we are exploring them and we are thinking uh, in future when uh, there will be more of such systems deployed and we will have a lot of capacity in batteries of these systems. And then, uh, as is known, energy grid nowadays needs uh, energy storage. And when we can offer these systems to grid operator to provide them access to these energy storage systems, they can do many services with these systems. For example, they can make secondary and primary regulation of voltage and frequency of the grid. They can very nicely integrate big renewable sources. They can do energy demands shifting and a lot of other services. Mm -hmm. And is one of the real benefits regarding integration of renewables, meaning that the, say, solar or wind energy can be then stored directly in the battery there, does not have to feed into the grid to be part of the overall grid supply? Uh, that's true, because in some countries, also in Slovakia, it's not very recommended or not allowed to feed back the renewable power or energy. Therefore, to have energy storage is enabling even to use of renewables and make some sense of using renewables. What about downsides or limitations of such systems? Maybe the main downside is the cost of energy storage. By the way, it's falling very quickly in uh, nowadays and uh, these years, but it is still some downside. Yeah, and then there are not much other downsides which we can experience for now. Super. And last question is about the idea of second life batteries. You know, people always ask what happens to the battery after it's in a vehicle. And I'm curious about the batteries that are in these uh, grid booster systems. Yeah. Yes, so we already deployed some second life batteries 
this is a very interesting topic because really after usage in an electric vehicle, battery has still about 80% of capacity. And this 80% is pretty much. And we can really use it in a very nice way. We put it to grid booster and use this battery, the resources which we already have and which maybe would be otherwise waste. And now we use it uh, really in second life and make benefits out of them. So Peter, we've been working on these projects for about two years. How do you see it? And uh, what are your sort of hopes and expectations for the future? I would say it's uh, developing very nicely. When we started, there was almost no installation like that. And uh, the first installation, which we did uh, about a year ago, is a very different to the one which we are doing now. So we uh, are developing um, our know-how as well. I see there's a very important part of our network. Stationary batteries will deploy very often in many locations. You may need it, for example, in residential areas or in in houses where the availability of the grid connection is not very high and uh, you want to charge uh, many electric vehicles. If you add the batteries into the whole system, we have completely different possibilities to manage the charging of a large number of uh, electric vehicles parked during the night, for example. And in the same time, you can provide other services like some kind of a backup system for the whole residential house, for example, and so on and so forth. I certainly remember how excited we were when we launched the first deployment in uh, Avion Shopping Center in Bratislava. And now, and we uh, you know, kind of launched the solar panels on the uh, station up in, in Trenčín, and so constantly doing new things. Mario, thank you very much for coming and sharing your expertise. It's wonderful to have you. It was my pleasure. And with that, while we still have Mario in the studio, let's move on to our final segment, EV Myth Busting. To conclude the last few episodes, we've shared a funny or really positive experience we've had with a customer or that a customer has had charging on the network or maybe even shoveling snow in front of our charging stations. But we want to mix it up a little bit. And today we're launching our new segment on EV myth busting. We want to break down some of the misinformation that's out there. So the first myth that we are going to be dealing with is... Is it true that you have to change your battery often, let's say every three or four years? I hope it lasts longer, but two, three years, that sounds about right, I guess. I guess that it lasts about four or five years. What happens once the battery is done and used completely, whether it's uh, eco-friendly? I assume the same applies to batteries in mobile phones, so usually three years and then it's going down very rapidly. So, Mario, what do you have to say to these people? So, in the beginning, EV batteries were small and has a limited lifetime. Nowadays, the batteries are about 40-60 kilowatt hours and the lifetime of these batteries is around 1000 cycles. If we count it, it's around 300,000 kilometers which these vehicles can drive. And again, we need to stress out that the end of life in EV batteries is always 80% of original capacity. And as we were talking today, this 80% of capacity is still very nice to be used in second life applications. Okay. Peter, anything to add? Maybe some people may be curious what the cycle really means. Yeah, one cycle in this uh, area means one full charge and discharge of battery. 
So when the battery has, for example, capacity of 40 kilowatt hours, it will give to electric vehicle driving range of around 200 kilometers. So people can expect their electric vehicle to last them between 200 and 300,000 kilometers. Yeah, exactly. Sort of a way for Yeah, to exactly. Think about it. And it depends how much people are driving. It could be, for example, 10 years. So there you have it, our first myth busted. And that was the end of our show. We really hope you like it. If you did, there's a whole lot more now. I mean, I think this is our 11th episode. It's incredible uh, from when we started. I mean, I think this calls for a celebration, guys. Please check out the archive on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Anchor. They all deal with important topics in electric mobility and the landscape of uh, electric mobility in this region of Central and Eastern Europe. So if you're interested in these topics, there's definitely an episode for you. If you like this show, please share it with your friends, family, and others you think may be interested. Or leave us a rating or review. That helps people learn about us too. You can always reach us at my email, aaron.fishbone at greenwaynetwork.com, tweet at us at gwoperator.com, or check out the Electric Avenue podcast page on Facebook. I want to thank our colleague, Mario Paroja, for joining us in the studio. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Peter, great that you're back in town. Thank you for having me. And also want to thank our production team, Julia Birchakova, for marketing, Katarina Urban-Richterova, and Oksana Ferrantsova for producing this episode and bringing these topics to you. I'm Aaron Fishbone. Until next time, dear listeners, wish you many happy and safe electric kilometers. <laughs>